Hey, let's give it up for our arts team for that whole opening package. Well done, you guys. That was awesome. That's my third time hearing that. Well, probably like sixth time with all the rehearsals. But man, that wasn't like Little Drummer Boy. That was like Big Drummer Man, wasn't it? That was like incredible. What a fun opening to our Christmas Eve services. Uh, my name is Kevin Valentine. I am the lead pastor here. And I just want to thank you for spending part of your Christmas holidays with us. And I love big numbers like that. We kind of all do when it comes down to it. We love big things like the 12 days of Christmas in different music styles and, and Big Drummer man and it's like it's why we open that way today is because we love big in our culture so much like big means um, better big means more uh, significant big means successful and important and so that's why we love bigger houses we love bigger boats and bigger trucks and bigger businesses and bigger vacations and big buildings and, and bigger paychecks right and big events it's like when you look at the Olympics man the Olympics is worldwide we love things like the Olympics the Super Bowl the Super Bowl in our country, do you guys know that every year, it doesn't matter who's playing, 100 million plus households will be tuning into the Super Bowl. That's how big it is. And I tell you what, we love big here at Kensington and we love the Super Bowl. Like we put on, we pull out all the stops for the Super Bowl service on Super Bowl Sunday. We call it one of our Super Bowls. There's three, Christmas, Easter, and the Super Bowl. And so just a side note about our church. If you're, uh, if you haven't been here before, we are a Jersey friendly church. Um, just so you guys know, like we're like, hey, wear your favorite sports team's jerseys. We are Jersey friendly on any Sunday. Um, Except New England Patriots, nope, and uh, Green Bay Packers, you're out, okay? Everyone else, yes, thank you very much, thank you very much. Ah, see, there you go. Uh, but you know, what else is really big at, in our culture is Christmas. Christmas is a big deal. In fact, it's so big, we keep extending it. I don't know if you've noticed this, but I, I want to know, and people at every service have done this, how many of you have uh, actually put up your lights middle of, th of November before Thanksgiving? Anybody in here admit you put up? Yeah, see, there's you people. Like, you love Christmas. Um, you know, it's like statistically proven that if you, the, the earlier you put up your Christmas lights, the, those people that put them up earlier are actually happier than people who don't, believe it or not. Um, but it's like we keep extending the Christmas season. Now it's not like Black Friday shopping. It's Black Friday week shopping because we keep extending it. Christmas music starts earlier and earlier. There's two radio stations that start the day after Thanksgiving. And, and not only is Christmas big in our culture, it's the celebration of it. When you look at the stats on Christmas, nearly every single person in America celebrates Christmas. In fact, Pew Research did a study on our, on, on, in the U.S. of U.S. adults, and they found that 96% of people in our country celebrate Christmas. And you would think that that was mostly religious people because it's a religious holiday. It's about Jesus, God in the flesh, coming to earth um, as a baby and growing up and then dying to pay for the sins of the world and resurrecting from the dead to make, make a way for all of us to get to heaven through him. And you would think that it's like that 96% of people in America that celebrate that all celebrate um, that because they're religious. But what they found is that 87% of the nuns, people with no religious, like when you ask them what religious affiliation they are, they say none. 87% um, of the nuns celebrate Christmas as well. They're in that number. Now, what's, the other thing that I found interesting in this study is not only do we celebrate Christmas in a big way, a large majority of people in our country believe everything that is in the Christmas story. 75% of people in this poll believe that a baby was laid in a manger. 
It's a Christmas story. 68% believe that wise men guided by a star, a celestial anomaly guided by a star, then that they brought frankincense, gold, and myrrh as gifts to baby Jesus. 67% believe that an angel announced the birth of Jesus to shepherds. 66% of people believe that Jesus was born of a virgin. And I thought I would take a moment just to explain how that works because it's kind of like weird, right? You know, it's like that means that Mary and Joseph, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to do that. There's kids in the room, right? I know some of you parents are like, I'm not ready to have that conversation yet. Okay, you don't have to mostly. Um, you might have to now. Uh, but 65% of U.S. adults believe all four elements of the Christmas story. And only 14% don't believe any of them. Meaning this, seven out of ten people believe this stuff, which I just want to go, what's wrong with you people? Do you see how crazy it is to believe that? So are we all brainwashed? That's kind of, is it because we grew up this with this? Is like we're all brainwashed into believing that? Or could it be that we are hardwired by God to respond to the story of Jesus? This Savior coming to earth to pay for the sins of mankind? Could it be that your soul is so deeply connected to the story and the reason for this month-long celebration of Christmas that every one of us already know that there's just something special about this story? There's something different about this time of year because of the miraculous setting of this small, humble story. And so today I want to invite you to take a journey with me where we're going to talk about why Jesus came to earth the way that he did. Not that he came to earth, because like I said, most of you already believe that. But I want to take a few minutes and just talk about why he came the way that he did, because there's some things in there that I believe are life-changing and reveal a whole lot about us and a whole lot about God. So let's pray before we jump into that. Um, Jesus, thank you so much for being the reason we take a month, over a month out of our year, to celebrate you and your birth. Lord, I pray for those of us in the room right now that um, this time of year is a little on the sad side for whatever reason. God, I pray that today you would just infuse joy and hope and peace into anyone that is just a little bit on the downside of life right now. For those of us in the room, God, that, that we walked in here and Christmas is just a time where we get off work and we give gifts and we eat a lot of food and we look at pretty lights, Lord, and there's no other meaning. God, I pray that you would just um, blow open the doors of their heart so that they might see that there's so much more going on than just that. And Lord, for those of us that believe that might have allowed the reason for why we celebrate to kind of escape us God, would you just remind us full force and bring us back to this simple belief in you, in your holy name, amen. So um, we are going to, because of the way we want to end our service, we are going to take our offering right now. And so ushers, if you guys can come on down, and I just want to say this, um, we get to hold services like this and we get to do church every Sunday um, and tell the greatest story ever told because of the generosity of so many of you who give to support the mission that we are on to let everybody in the world know who Jesus Christ is. And, and so I just want to thank you for giving because you're people who care about um, water wells going into Kenya. You're people who care about kids and teachers at Dillard Elementary School, hungry children in Haiti, people in need in East Winter Garden and those who don't know Jesus. Like we are engaged in all of those fronts. And so in this moment, I just want to ask you to consider giving to continue to further the mission that we're on of making Jesus famous and reaching people in this area for Christ. And I want to thank you in advance for that. So as our title suggests, A Tale of Two Kings, 
we are going to um, look at two kings central to the Christmas story. So both of these kings are in the Christmas story. It's King Herod and King Jesus. And what I'm hoping we discover is that one of their kingdoms is still alive today and has the power to transform your life. Well, I want to start talking about King Herod. Okay, King Herod, uh, in the first century when Jesus was born, Herod was the king of the Jews. He was the king of Israel at the time. Herod actually had a nickname. And those of you that kind of remember your Bible story, um, you guys just yell out his, his nickname. It's Herod the... Great, right? Oh, look, I got a little guy back there. It's like, great. Yes, guess who gave Herod that nickname? Herod gave him that nickname. Herod's like, you know, I'm great. I'm going to call myself Herod the Great. He gives himself this nickname. Um, you know, he, he was tall, handsome, intelligent, imposing, just like me. You know, it's like, just think of me. No, I'm kidding. He had a, his good sides, but he had a lot, a lot of bad sides. He was also addicted to power. He was an egomaniac. He actually was competitive and unbelievably cruel. And let me just tell you what he was obsessed with, because we know this not just from the Christmas story found in the Bible, but also through secular historians who write about King Herod. He was obsessed with number one himself. He was obsessed with number one. He was obsessed with ascending. He was obsessed with power and pleasure and position and possessions and security, self-promotion, self-protection. He was addicted to selfishness. He had an infamous history. Um, he had a bitter, a bitter, resentful heart. His father, who was also a king, was poisoned um, by political opponents and died. And so this is the kind of man Herod was. When he got to power, he invited all of those people over to a party. The only problem with the party was that the greeters were actually hitmen, and there's not one of them that walked out of that room because that's the kind of leader and, and king he was. He was consumed with power. He used people to move up. He was married to 10 different women. Most of them were politically motivated that he got married to. He was suspicious. He had a network of spies that had orders to kill anybody that talked, that talked about overthrowing his throne um, uh, ever. They were just on the spot. They were allowed to kill anybody that talked about that because he was that suspicious of everyone. He was unbelievably insecure. He ordered the execution of any potential candidate to his throne, including two of his wives and three of his sons. He had them executed because that's the kind of king he was. He was that insecure. He was known as one of the great builders in antiquity. Um, in fact, one of his ideas was that he wanted to perpetuate his name through building projects that would last beyond him. And what you find when you go over to Israel is that you can still find the ruins of his kingdom. And I just want to show you some pictures of how, of how big and how powerful Herod was at the time. And so this first one is of a place uh, called Mount Herodian. And uh, the story is, is that Herod actually had this mountain built in honor of a victory that he had, a, a, a war victory. And he had this mountain built, and then he built a palace on top of it. And you know what's interesting? There's a picture from the top. What's interesting about this mountain, those of you that know the story in Scripture where uh, Jesus is talking, and he says, hey, if you, have, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will listen to you. What Jesus was actually referring to is what was he saying? He was saying, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed in God, you will be more powerful than who? Herod. Because Herod had literally moved a mountain. Herod didn't just build that mountain and that palace. He also built on a place called Masada. And this is a beautiful place. He built on top of a mesa overlooking the Dead Sea. And when you get to actually what he built, it really is beautiful. You can go to the next slide. Um, you can see that he built it on multiple levels down the side of this mountain overseeing this beautiful landscape because he was a builder. And then you get into um, Jerusalem and he actually built a temple and that was kind of an artist rendering of what he built. That is all his temple grounds. And then you can actually go to Israel and 
see the sites of where it was. They are now digging up the ruins of what Herod built. It's still there. You can go and verify all this through history, this one king that shows up in the story at Christmas. He was a master deceiver. Um, the, the, the best way I can describe him as I read about him, he's like the king in the movie Gladiator. Do you guys remember that movie? The king that like you wanted to die um, in the movie like, and you like cheered when he did. Um, that, that's what he was like. He was just evil to the core. He hated all rivals to his power. And you can actually read about his obsession in the Christmas story, Matthew 2, verse 1, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod. Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where's the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. And did you notice what the wise men called Jesus? What they call him? King of the Jews. Did you hear that? So what does that make Jesus to Herod? A threat. Suddenly Jesus shows up on the, on the, on the radar of King Herod as a threat to his throne. Because there can only be one king of the Jews. So Herod calls in the Magi and says, hey, Magi, listen, I want to go worship Jesus too. Um, would you please go find out where he is and come back and report to me so that I can go do that, which we know what he was going to do. Um, but the Magi, in a dream, God warns them and says, don't go back to Herod, go back another way, and they do. And then we find this is the plan that Herod comes up with because he is so upset that he cannot find Jesus. Matthew 2, 16, when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. And I won't go into any more detail because of the little ears in the room, but that's just a picture of who Herod was as he shows up in the Christmas story. One of the most self-promoting, self-protecting, inconsiderate, jealous, selfish kings in all of history. And I just have to say this, aren't you glad you and I aren't like him? Aren't you glad? I can't imagine being that obsessed with power and being important. And as I was thinking about this, I was like, well, maybe I can. You see, earlier this year, my wife and I, we actually got to go to Israel um, through the generosity of some friends. We went with a group of 40, and um, we were so blessed. We actually got to ride all the way to Israel, 10-hour flight, and we were in first class. I don't know if you've ever flown first class on an international trip, but we had like the pod thing, your own little area in the seats with the big screen TV, and you had like the, they gave you, gave you. Um, noise-canceling headphones to watch TV with. Um, there's this little button with a person on it, and whenever you pushed it, this magical person showed up and got you anything you wanted. It was incredible. On top of that, the seats laid completely flat. They were heated, and they had a massager inside of them. Like, can you believe that? It was great. It was so good riding there that I was disappointed when we got to Israel. I was like, ah, oh, man, I got to get out of the plane. But here's what happened on the plane, which was really interesting. A little bit of Herod kind of showed up in me is because we were four of us were in first class. Thirty six of us were in the back. And guess who didn't have a thought about anybody else on the plane behind first class? That's me. I didn't care if anybody was there. And I saw my friends through the 
the curtain at times. They'd be peeking up because they wouldn't let them up forward. I didn't care. I was in my little happy place. In fact, I brought two of my friends up. I snuck them in when a stewardess wasn't there, and I came and I showed them the palace that we were staying in. And uh, and then like after they were there long enough, I'm like, okay, go back. I need to finish my movie. You know, it's like that's kind of how it was. But it's so interesting for me. It's like, man, once I got up in my little seat, I didn't care about anybody else but me. You know why? Because there's just a little bit of Herod in every single one of us. One of my friend's sisters, she says it this way. She says, I may not be much, but I'm all I think about. (laughs) Isn't that true of us? We all have a little bit of Herod in us. And so this is what I want you to do. I want you to look at the person that you came with, look at somebody beside you, just look at them. And I want to tell you while you're doing that, who you're looking at. You are looking at the second most selfish person on the planet, okay? The second most selfish person on the planet. It is so easy for us to live our lives focused on me. What's my spouse doing for me? What's my boss doing for me? What's my job giving to me? What are my parents doing for me? What are my kids giving back to me? When you figure that out, let me know. What is my church giving to me? What has my football team done for me lately? You know, it's kind of one of those things. Herod, when you look at Herod and King Herod, he was obsessed with one person and it was himself. And sadly, so many of us live the same way. And so maybe like me, you can relate to Herod just a little bit. But thankfully, there's another king in the Christmas story. And the way this king shows up and comes into the world reveals a secret about one of the most fulfilling ways to live your life. See, one king, King Herod, was obsessed with ascending, getting ahead, taking the next step, stepping on rivals to get to the next rung of power. And one king was driven by descending. And that's King Jesus. When you look at the Christmas story, Jesus enters the world in this small, quiet, almost unnoticeable way. Joseph and Mary, they travel to Bethlehem. We read this in Luke 2. Joseph took Mary with him, Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her, for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. And so let me just tell you about King Jesus' royal entrance into the world. Born to an unwed, pregnant teenager. There's no place for him to even be born. He ends up in a manger where animals live, with animals and feces all over the place. He was actually delivered in a cave. And I'm going to show you a picture of that in just a second. His crib was, was most probably a stone feeding trough. There were no families, family or friends there at that moment. There was no one celebrating the arrival of King Jesus. Like they came, the shepherds came later. The Magi were actually 18 months after the birth of Jesus. They showed about, it took them about 18 months to get to where Jesus was. And so what you find is we've kind of sanitized the way that Jesus has come into the world. And I just want to show you a picture of how sanitized we've made it. We've made it just look perfect where the animals are all pretty and they're clean and their eyes are open and they are almost smiling and all the people are dressed nice and everybody's there at this moment with a nice built um, wooden manger with a star at the top. And, and we look at that and we go, what a great scene. And that's not the scene at all when, the, when King Jesus showed up into the world. Most of the time, mangers were caves that they found in the side of rocks. If you go to Israel, you find them all over the country. In fact, this is what most of the caves look like. They're just holes in rocks. 
completely unimpressive. And what you find is the creator of the universe, God in the flesh, comes to planet Earth and hardly anybody notices. I'll just say this. Jesus could have come to Earth in a very different way. In fact, if I were Jesus, right? Like, you should be so grateful that I am not Jesus. But if I were Jesus... How would I have come to earth? I would have come with trumpets and angels, an army of angels and lightning and thunder and earthquakes with royalty and subjects bowing to me. And I would have come and I said, I'm your creator. I made you. I took, brought you into this world. I can take you out. You know, I would have let everybody know that I was here. That's how all of us would have done it. Most probably, but not Jesus. You got to think about this. Jesus left the power the beauty, the comfort of sitting there at the right hand of Father God. The limitless took on limits and became a baby and came here. The weakness of a child that couldn't even lift his head off of a pillow, humble, approachable, and small, which makes you wonder, why did he choose to come that way? Why did Jesus show up there? like that. I'll tell you why I believe that is. I believe it's because um, most civilizations, when it comes to God, they have one emotion. What do you think that motion is? It starts with an F. It's fear, isn't it? It's fear. Even God's angels are scary. You ever notice in scripture and even in the Christmas story, every time an angel shows up, what's the first thing the angel says? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Why? It's because I think sometimes, you know, we've sanitized angels. We think, you know, angels aren't these fat little babies with wings that try and make people fall in love with suction cup darts. Like, that's not what an angel is. Angels are actually God's Navy SEALs. When they showed up, you filled your drawers. Like, that's just what happened. It doesn't matter what. That's what you did. And so every time an angel shows up, it's like, hey, don't be afraid. Because even God's angels are scary. And so most civilizations have had an emotion of fear when it comes to God. But then Jesus shows up. As a baby. And here's what you know about babies. No one's afraid of babies, right? Like anybody in here afraid of babies? No, none of us are. Have you ever? Okay, maybe a little bit, Todd. Okay, so yeah, maybe. Have you ever seen a baby and ran the other way screaming, afraid for your life? No, nobody does that. Like babies are cuddly. They're warm. Like when you bring a baby into a room, you're like, it's like especially women. It's like moths to a flame. Baby, oh my gosh, I must touch it. Like that's just kind of what happens. That's what babies do. They're warm. They're cuddly. They're wonderful. They warm your heart. They're not threatening. In fact, just to prove to you how fun babies are and how much they bring joy to all people. I thought we would play a game, okay? We're going to play a game where I'm going to show you a baby picture of a famous person. You have to guess what famous person is the baby picture of. Are you guys up for a game right now? You guys good? All right, cool. All right, let's do the first one. Let me show you the first one. This is a baby picture. Now, on the count of three, I want you to guess who is this famous person on the count of three. One, two, three. Yell it out. Okay, no, it's not Oprah. It is Beyonce, right? Dude, she was beautiful as a baby, right? Okay, let's do another one. Let's do another. You guys like failed on that one. Let's do this one. Okay, um, who? What baby picture is that of? Um, okay, on the count of three. One, two, three. Yell it out. Oh, they got some people over here. Show them. It is Brad Pitt. Well done. Good job. Okay, here's another one. Let's do this one. And this one, you might be able to pick it. And once I show you the picture, okay, who is this a picture of? What baby? Anybody know? All right, I'll show you. I'll show you. It's Gandalf. Gandalf, right? Isn't that Gandalf? That's him. Okay, now. I'm going to move into showing you pictures of baby lookalikes, okay? These are not the actual baby pictures, but I want to show you a baby picture, and you tell me who it is a baby picture of, who it is an impersonation of. All right, let's go to the next one. All right, I'm going to give you a guess. 
Well, whose baby picture is that? On the count of three. One, two, three. Gordon Ramsay. Yes, look at that. Isn't that great? Seriously? There you go. All right, let's do another one. Let's do the next one. Okay, guys, you guys are going to know this one. Um, you're going you're gonna to love it when I show you, especially those of you that are older from the movie Princess Bride. Let's show them who it is. See, look at that. See there? There you go. All right, let's do the next one. Let's go to the next one. All right, you guess on this one. I'm going to give you like two seconds. Yell it out on the count of three. One, two, three. All right, let's show them. It's the guy from Modern Family, right? Can't you see? All right, let's do one more. Let's do another one here. I think we got one or two more. Oh, yeah, this, yeah half of the room is about to hate me, and half of you are going to love me. Um, on the count of three, guess. One, two, three. Dude, there you go. Let's show him. There you go, Donald Trump. It's the Trumpster. <laughs> that is so fun. Oh, my gosh. Hey, give yourselves a hand on that one. You guys did really, really good. So here's the question. Why would Jesus, why would Jesus choose to show up here as a baby? And I'll just tell you why, because he's making a statement to the world, and this is what he's saying. He's saying this, you don't have to be afraid of God. You don't have to run from God. You don't have to worry that God's after you, just waiting for you to make a mistake so he can just put his thumb on you and make your life living hell. You don't have to be afraid. Jesus showed us that because he said, I'm here to show you who God is. John 12, 44, Jesus shouted to the crowds. He's like, if you trust me, you are trusting not only me, but also God who sent me. For when you see me, when you see me, you are seeing the one who sent me. And who did he say sent him? God. Jesus, right in this moment, is saying, if you see me, you see God. I have come as a light to shine in this dark world so that all who put their trust in me will no longer remain in the dark. And so I'll just say this. If you want to know what God is like, you just look at how Jesus entered the world. You look at how Jesus entered the world. Jesus came in humility. Jesus came personally. And what you find as you look at his life, he never leveraged his kingly rights for himself. Not once. Not once did he leverage his rights for himself. He leveraged them for us from his first breath to his last, serving every single one of us out of love, revealing who God is and what God is like. And so when you look deeper into the Christmas story, what you discover is a heavenly father that loves you. And I'm just telling you, it doesn't matter if you don't care or if you don't believe this season has anything to do with anything but getting gifts and giving gifts. What Christmas, the Christmas story and the reality of Christmas does is it just tells you that God loves you. He sees you. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you're doing that you think might keep God from loving you and seeing you. It doesn't matter because of what he's already done. He knows you by name. And so Christmas is this moment where God is inviting us into this tender relationship with him as a gentle, loving father. That is what this is all about. He's giving you that invitation. And so right in the middle of the nativity, what do we find? We find what we've been searching for our whole life, so many of us, because you have to choose which king you're going to follow. And I'll just tell you this, this, is, this truth is just really what Christmas is all about. The king you choose really determines the life you live. The king you choose determines the life you live. The Christmas story gives us two choices. You can worship and follow King Herod, or you can worship and follow King Jesus. It's a tale of two kings that lead to very different kingdoms. And if you choose Herod, you're basically choosing to live a life of glorifying yourself. 
You choose to live a life of making you the king of your life and trying to find happiness in, in, your, in your accomplishments, in your power, in your wealth, and you will rarely, if ever, find satisfaction and fulfillment if you go down that road and worship King Herod. Because it's an existence of me, me, me. But if you choose Jesus, what you begin to discover, to discover is the life that you've always wanted. Because Jesus shows us this humble path down, down to where joy and peace and rest and hope and contentment and reconciliation and happiness are found. See, Jesus says to win in life, lose your life for my sake. You want to be filled up? Empty yourself and I'll fill you up. You want to find joy? Serve others. You want to gain? You have to give. Because it's Jesus who said, if you lose your life for me, you'll find life and life to the full. And so in the smallest part of Christmas, we find the biggest truth of all. And that is just this. Jesus came to earth for you personally for you so that you might find him and find the life that you've always wanted because the invitation of hope is offered to everybody you find it right in john three sixteen. for god so loved the world loved you that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life and so if you want real joy this christmas you have to choose king jesus that's where you'll find it. Accept him into your life. Invite him to be the CEO of your life. That is what Jesus came. He came to bring a kingdom, but it was unlike any kingdom the earth had ever seen. It's a kingdom now that exists in the hearts of men and women who have accepted him and invited him into their life and asked for forgiveness for all of their sins, past, present, and future. And all it takes to move into that place of Jesus being the CEO of your life is a simple invitation. My mom always said, she said, God's a gentleman. He never enters unless he's invited. And so maybe today is your day to invite King Jesus into your life, to be the Lord of your life. That's my prayer. That's why he came here, to reveal that truth to you so you might know him and live with him as the center of your universe instead of you in that place. So would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me as we just pray? Because um, I have to think that maybe for some of you, right now is your moment to invite Jesus into your life. And so if that's you, I just want to tell you over the next few minutes, right now with your head bowed, eyes closed, all you have to do is invite him in. Just say to, say to God, I believe. I believe that you sent your son here for me and that you died on the cross for me and that you can forgive me of my sins and give me an eternity in heaven. And so if that's you, just right in the quietness of your own moment, you can talk to God right now and he hears you. And so I want to pray for you, Lord, for those right now that are just on the edge of inviting you into their life, God, and they're doing so right now. God, would you just enter in with a rush of hope and joy and peace that you promise to those who invite you with the power of your Holy Spirit, create a change in them from the inside out. God, I pray that you would bless them this Christmas season. Lord, for those right now that have known you in the past but maybe have lost their way or have forgotten what this time of the year is about, God, would you just, um, just re remind us full force how important this moment is and how important you are and that you're where we can find life. And Lord, for those of us here that are struggling 
Jesus, over the next few minutes, would you just allow your presence to wrap around them that they might find renewed hope and peace and joy and rest in you. In your holy name, amen.